Father, you are faithful, and we thank you for that. May the words that we sung ring just as true in our ears and hearts later this week as they do right now. You're good. We praise you. We praise you in the name of Jesus, the one who showed us precisely and exactly what you were like. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, everybody. I guess I'll just kind of go with what Jordan was saying, and apparently a whole lot of the stage got younger this morning, so <laughs> that's a good, good thing. I, I hope you'll show your appreciation to, uh, to everyone who is here on stage a little bit later today, uh, the youth, part of the youth band anyway. It's good to allow them to be able to serve in this way, uh, to just let part of what they do in their own time be shared with all of you. It's one of the ways in which we are gifted as a body. And uh, the time, just in case you're wondering, is 9.40. And I mention that because time's a pretty fascinating thing when you stop to think about it. Um, I don't do this very often, but sometimes I will look at this day in history type of things. I don't know if anybody else does that, but this day in history, of course, I'm going to stretch back a couple days to the 28th of February is when one of the last times I looked at it, and that was when the Branch Davidian compound deal started happening in 1993, which I know predates several people here, but others, including myself, it doesn't quite predate me, Um, but when you think about it, that was... Not all that long ago, um, just yesterday, was the end of the surge of Sarajevo, the longest modern-day siege of a city in modern times. Four years. Four years. Over 14,000 deaths, including 5,400 civilians. Um, that was yesterday, actually, I guess, on, uh, on leap year day. So we kind of had an extra day yesterday. Today, 1961, the Peace Corps was established. But yet, as I'm talking about these aspects of time, and I have time hop on my phone. I don't know if anybody else has time hop. It's kind of nice to look back and see pictures of events that have piled up on top of one another. And it's just like, oh my goodness, that was almost like that was yesterday when it was last year or four or five or more years ago. Time is really pretty fascinating, and with that, we need to remember that it is a gift from God. Foundational, we need to remember God is a giver of all good things. Time is a gift that he has given to us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. And from this point in time, you know, the, the Hebrew people and the early, um, early people, they're, they're charting out the seasons, and then we have festivals that coincide with this later on when we get further into the biblical story. But yet, time was a gift that God had given to humanity, a way of marking it. But it seems as though it's been a little bit distorted. A little bit like where Sabbath was a gift that was given to men, 
But, but sometimes we struggle with things and we get things turned around and flipped upside down and inverted. And, and this was one of the rubs that was happening with Jesus because based on how a lot of people were interpreting what the Sabbath was for, he was at odds with other people during his day and age. And in Mark chapter 2, there's an account where he heals a guy on the Sabbath, which was a no-no because you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, including healing someone or the healing within your own body would be classified as work. And Jesus says, no, you've got it all wrong. Because you see, the reality is that Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift that God has given us. It wasn't the Sabbath first and then we are to uh, be conformed into that in any way. He said, no, it's backwards. And so much the same, we need to understand that time was marked out for mankind, not the other way around, not man for time. It's a gift that has been given to us. But sadly, so many times, it seems that it rules and dominates over us. It's quite sad and ironic. It's a little bit like this guy. I mean, let's be honest. Who among us has not been late, late for a very important date? Garen gave myself and other people, the staff, I believe, this book uh, by John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I was hurrying to get through it a while back, and then apparently I got the message, and so I have put it down and haven't been back to it for a while. <laughs> but I want to share with you a, a few things in here um, from a chapter titled a brief, speed of, a, a brief History of Speed. And apparently... Um, the first sundial happened in about 200 B.C. And people were c complaining about this new technology than what it was doing to society. And there was actually a, a Roman playwright by the name of Plautus, and he was turned to anger by, by what was happening, and he turned it into poetry. It's what some people will do, and, or, or like a, you know, now it would be Twitter or Facebook or make a movie about it, something like that. But he, he starts his poetry this way. He says, The gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish ours. Confound him, too, who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my days so wretchedly into small portions. That's interesting, isn't it? Railing against this newfangled technology, the sundial. Huh. He goes on and talks about... Uh, 1370, this is when many historians point to a turning point in our relationship with time because that's when the first public clock tower was erected in Cologne, Germany. He goes on to say that before that time was natural and we just went with the seasons and went with uh, you know, the rising and the setting of the sun. And uh, one historian's summary of this key moment says, Here was man's declaration of independence from the sun. New proof of his mastery over himself and his surroundings. Only later would it be revealed that he had accomplished this mastery by putting himself under the dominion of a machine with imperious demands all its own. It's ironic, isn't it? 1879, Edison invented the light bulb and... Uh, I don't know how many of you enjoy enough sleep every night, but before Edison did that, the average person slept 11 hours a night. 11 hours a night was the average prior to artificially being able to give us the illusion that we can somehow even control time because the sun sets and no, we can still do whatever we want to do. 
To quote the great theologian Darius Rucker, formerly of Hootie and the Blowfish, <laughs> if I could play the guitar, I would. I almost sang, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Time, why you punish me? Like a wave bashing into the shore, you wash away my dreams. Time, why you walk away? Like a friend with somewhere to go, you left me crying. There's a lot more we could say about this, but honestly, we don't really have the time. But God, our Heavenly Father, has all the time in the world. We do not. Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, either in your Bibles or on your app, um, your phone, or the, I think this is one of the texts in the, in the app for this morning, in the version app. And as you're turning there, I, I just want to give a, I don't know, a brief summary of some things that have happened up to this point. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, you'll notice when we get there, that the people are getting ready to enter into the promised land. And this is something that had been a long time in the making. I mean, we're talking a long time in the making. The Lord had promised back to, uh, to Abram back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, for example, to you and your offspring I will give this land. And this is the land that he's talking about. And then he wound up going down into Egypt for a while and came back out of that. A little bit later in chapter 15, verse uh, 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Once again, talking about this land that they're getting ready to enter into. It happens again in chapter 17, verse 8, and chapter 24, verse 7, which I find fascinating because four times the Lord told Moses that I'm going to be bringing you and your descendants into this land. And that is a Jewish way of saying completeness and totality. God is going to bring this to pass. Well, we go to the next patriarch. In Genesis chapter 26, we have the Lord speaking to Isaac as well, saying that we're going to bring you into this land. This is a land that you're going to possess and your descendants after you as well. Isaac passes that on to his son Jacob in the form of a blessing in Genesis chapter 28, verse 3. And you see, all these things predate where we are in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Then we have the Lord himself showing up and talking to Jacob, whose name is in the course of uh, the the course the process of being changed into Israel, and in Genesis thirty five eleven he says, and uh, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Time and time again, he is saying that he is going to be giving them this land. This is for their inheritance. This is for their good. This is going to be able to be worked out within the course of human history uh, for basically the Lord being known for all people, all of the nations. Jacob recounts it in Genesis 48. And then also in Genesis 50, uh, the book of Genesis ends with this on the lips of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. As he says to his brothers in chapter 50, verse 24, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, because they were in Egypt at this point in time, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
So when we get to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and they're on the brink of the promised land, about ready to enter, this had been a long, long time in coming. So with that, now we're ready to read in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is an 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Bernia. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment of them. Did you hear that? Come with me back to verse 2. It is an 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Bernia. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Don't stretch an 11-day journey into a 40-year one. Do you see what happened right there between those two verses? From Horeb, which is Sinai, right here, I mean, you know, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> it's an 11-day journey to go over here to Kadesh Bernia. But how long does the text say it took them? 40 years. Don't stretch an 11-day journey into 40 years. You see, some of us are experts at stretching things out. You know, you're about at the end of a condiment, and you're like, man, better put some water on that, shake it up in the jar, make it last a little bit longer. Right? Anybody? No? Yes? No? Lots of no? Come on. Nobody? Anybody see Friday? That? Okay, thanks. Maybe I shouldn't go any further with that one. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Uh, some of us stretch a four-year degree into six or seven. I think I did six, I think. But I, I, you know, it happens when you transfer schools and God kind of changes the path of your life because the path you're on was not going well at all. Uh, I even think of myself yesterday. And uh, uh, my wife had some, a friend over with some kids, about our kids' age and younger, yesterday, which I'm fine with. I like kids like playing, playing with them, but I wanted some time to be able to focus and work on this for a while. And so I was like, all right, well, we'll, we'll leave here. And I'm thinking, okay, I have, uh, I have some stars in my Starbucks account, so I'm going to go to Starbucks and I'll get a free coffee and I'll sit there and I'll work. Well, I drive over there to Starbucks and guess what? They're closed. It's like, ah. The boilers, like, okay, so we'll drive to Gravel City Roasters, and then as I get there, and I park, and I'm getting ready to walk in, and I think, I know they're open, because I know they are prepared for these types of things, but then I'm thinking, I don't know if they can use their espresso machine, I don't know if they're doing only pour-overs, or what they're doing, and when I'm there, I usually like just to get a single espresso, and then I'm like, I don't want to walk in there, and then not get what I want, and walk out like I'm mad at them, because I'm not, I'm just mad at myself, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I was really wanting coffee when I work on it, and so I'm leaving Gravel City Roasters, and I'm almost ready to turn to go 15, 13 or so blocks that way toward my house, and I'm just frustrated. I'm going through these things in my mind because I want to head to another place that is quiet that I can work, and then I'm going to show back up at home, and Melissa's going to be like, well, what are you doing? I'm getting coffee, and then I have to explain the whole thing of why I'm there. And basically, I mean, this is minor, but I turn, I turn like a five-minute journey if I had simply thought a little bit through the boil order and who would be closed, I stretched it into like 25 or 30 minutes. 
But, but that's nothing compared from 11 days to 40 years. You see, God has all the time in the world. We do not. And more seriously there, I mean, I could poke fun at myself a lot with this, but yet uh, I think we all know the reality of looking at our schedule and seeing things, and on paper we have some space, and so something gets penciled in or something gets added to the calendar. And maybe theoretically there's time, but all of a sudden our schedule is stretched to the breaking point, and it's weighing down, and it's weighing down heavily on our soul. You see, our Heavenly Father has all the time in the world, but we do not. Now, some of you may be wondering, and you're stuck back in Deuteronomy, and you've just tuned me out for a little bit, because you're thinking, how is it possible for 11 years to turn into, or 11 days to turn into 40 years? I mean, it's like, I've heard about getting lost before, or someone refusing to ask for directions, but this is like ramped up a little bit. And this is like someone sadistically in Google Maps or your Apple Maps device, and they're like changing the directions continuously. Eventually, you would like chuck that thing out the window and simply go where you need to go. So what in the world happened there? Now, I assure you, we don't have time to talk about all of it this morning, but yet on the same hand, you don't have time to not be thankful. And I want you to see that. I'm not going to go through all the steps, the specific steps that led to their failure, but I assure you that you do not have time to not be thankful. You see, when we're thankful, whether it's in the moment or when we are remembering something of God's faithfulness, faithfulness in the past and we bring that into the present and we're thankful about that, that has a, a, the ability to... Uh, I guess especially when we're in the aspect of remembering things, it's like we're, we're tilling the hardness of our heart and we're dropping in these seeds of the goodness of what God has done. And he continues to change and massage our heart and to cultivate it and to birth it into something new and beautiful. I've said it this way in the past, that thankfulness is essential to following Jesus. I don't know. No, we're not there yet. Um, what, what you could do is in Deuteronomy chapter 1, right there, you could make a note in your Bible with pencil, or you could uh, do a, a note in your app that you use, and you could write in there Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. And I would like to go there because that is the most recent thing. That's when they're starting and they're leaving from Horeb in order to travel to Kadesh Bernia. So we could go there, but there's lots of things I would have to explain that I don't want to go into this morning. So we'll maybe save that for uh, another time in the future. Uh, and a reason why I'm okay with doing this is because we're going to hop into the book of Exodus here in just a little bit. But you see the pattern and the habits of what surfaced again in Numbers chapter 10... They laid the foundation for themselves all the way back in the book of Exodus. Habits that were formed two years earlier. And I can't help but ask myself in light of that, Brent, what habits do you have today that were formed two years earlier but are no longer beneficial for you? Or maybe it wasn't even beneficial for you, but you started it then and you're, you're continuously enslaved to it today. I mean, maybe, it's, maybe it's 20 years earlier. Maybe it's... Maybe it's seven years. I don't know what the case may be, but, but you understand what I'm getting at with this. And when I'm talking about habits and things that we have in place, maybe there's some defense mechanisms that Jesus wants to strip away as he continues to unearth things and bring new life in you and make you continuously new. 
You see, I believe the Holy Spirit is always at work. And I believe the Holy Spirit, perhaps, even in this moment, has given someone some insight of something and something that needs to go away, something that needs to be reaffirmed. I want to push pause for just a moment and uh, say this public statement announcement for myself as well as Garen when he preaches, although I haven't clarified this with Garen, but I think he would agree with me. It's impossible to say everything you want to say in a single sermon. It just is. Um, Time constraints, uh, the reality that there is so much tension within the Bible in which we need to look at this biblical truth and hold it firmly, just as we look at this other biblical truth and hold that firmly and live within the tension within that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. This is what we need to do in day-to-day life with things and certainly when we wrestle with things in Scripture. And And I've continued to say that God has all the time in the world, but we don't. And I'm saying that because, for example, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, one of the things that followers of Jesus are destined to become is we are destined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. That's something that one day will come to fruition. But we need to understand that work for those of us who are following Jesus is happening right now. And this is significant because in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where he creates mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. That word image is the exact same word used in Romans 8, 28. I think Garen has been through these things before. We were made in God's image. Things have been distorted and things are dysfunctional, but he's in the process of making us new, and one day we will be conformed into the image of Jesus. As you guys have seen, we are created for good, right? We look forward to the day, hold on, what's going on here? Sorry. We look forward to the day when things are restored for good. Created good, we look forward to the day when things are restored for good. And this is kind of what I'm saying. Here's Genesis 1, created for good, and then, you know, an outflow of Romans 8.28, this restored for good aspect, when, when Jesus comes back and we have the new heavens and the new earth. But yet we need to understand, uh, hmm. well, I'll borrow a line from one of my friends, uh, Shane Wood. He said, A sad irony is today in the church, it seems we believe more in the transforming power of death than we do the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's he mean by that? Sometimes, we don't think transformation in the here and now is possible. We get tired of things and we can't wait till Jesus comes back because then we'll be fixed. Do we believe more in the transforming power of death than the life-giving Holy Spirit in the here and now? Now hear me, I'm not saying that we will perfect ourselves now. But I am saying within that is that this is not totally the end. When we're restored for good, we will continue to be transformed continuously because why? We're worshiping a God who is infinite and we will never figure him out. And so the transformation, I believe, especially when you tie Genesis 1 with things in Romans 8, as well as in the book of Revelation, the transformation that we will continue to go through will be life-giving, life going on forever into eternity because God is timeless. He is not bound by time. 
He will continue to bring about change and growth and healing for us, and we will continue to, to uh, learn new things and all this type of stuff that I believe ties in to hear the things that Garen has talked about as we go through this story of how we were created good, we're broken by sin, Jesus was sent to heal, and then also as he heals us, he does what? He sends us out because we are salt and light because the world is decaying. One day he'll come back. We will not complete. We will not perfect ourselves. Please don't misunderstand me. But let's give a little more credit to the power of the Holy Spirit and the change that he can bring about in us and cooperate with the things that God wants to do because God may have all the time in the world, but we don't. And guess who else doesn't? Your coworker who doesn't know Jesus. Your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. Your children who you are impacting, because let's be honest, those of us who are following Jesus are still imperfect, and there are things that we can model for our kids that are not life-giving, and Jesus wants us to, to model things for them that point us to him continuously. We need to continue to walk in step with him. Now, I want to trace some things in the book of Exodus. Um, so uh, turn with me to the book of Exodus. I think I'm going to put this on the screen as well. Because as I said, we, we could go into numbers, that's the most direct things, but I'm going to go back into Exodus because this is where the patterns were set or where we can see them clearly. And in Exodus chapter 14 is where we are going to be. And this is right on the heels of the Lord, you know, doing these miraculous works, we call them the plagues in the land of Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh says, just go, take everything and go get away from us. And so they go out and they're on their journey. And in Exodus chapter 14, ah, things are out of order. That's my fault. Uh, Exodus chapter 14, we read this. Because they come to the Red Sea, and they can't go any further. And then Pharaoh, sitting back in Egypt, thinks, oh my goodness, we just let our labor force go. And so they go and they chase after them, right? Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to them, same. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. Why in the world did God bring us out here? I don't even know why he sent me to you. This is the dumbest thing we've ever done. And some of you are looking at me. Does your Bible not say that? No. Oh. No, Moses said, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. You see, they had witnessed mighty act of the Lord after mighty act of the Lord. And one of the things we need to do and we keep in perspective here is this is not just on a people group. Uh, when we read the Bible a little more closely, we see that actually he was bringing down judgment on the gods of Egypt. Says that two times, Exodus chapter 12, 12, and Numbers 33, 4. 
But we need to realize here is that they have been brought out of the land of Egypt, out of this place of bondage and slavery. And the first obstacle they face, they're complaining and they want to go back. And we can think, well, what in the world is their problem? Why, why are they doing this? Don't they remember the things that the Lord had just done for them? I mean, they had done nothing to earn their freedom or slavery. About the only thing they did was bring their cattle out of the fields and into the shelter so they didn't get pelted to death by the hailstorms. But it's not unlike us experiencing God's grace and favor and compassion or generosity or something in a time of need. And in a short turnaround, something else difficult comes our way. And then we're like, oh my goodness, what in the world is going to happen? Why is this happening to me? It's the same thing, is it not? I mean, we, we can poke fun at it if it's somebody else and we can read it on the pages. But when we start to see this pattern in our own lives, then we're thinking, oh my goodness, it's not just a, it's not just a them problem. It's like an us problem as well. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to continuously work at defining reality carefully. I think that's a constant struggle for us followers of Jesus. We need to continue to work at defining reality carefully and reality accurately. Because your current situation does not limit God's faithfulness. Your current situation does not dethrone Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended to the Father and he took his seat, he is reigning king over the universe and we are his subjects and he is still reigning no matter what's going on in our life or someone else's life or what we dread in the future. We need to continue to work to define uh, reality carefully. And this is so important because just as I've said before, God has all the time in the world, we do not. And we don't want to stretch an 11-day journey into 40 years. Come a little further with me in the text to Exodus chapter 15 because, you know, the Lord delivered them and he made a way through the Red Sea and they worship and praise him for that in Exodus chapter 15, the beginning of it. And then we come to verse 22 of Exodus 15. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Let's just pause there for a moment. You think it might have occurred to them that, Oh my goodness, he did something with the Nile River and made it blood, and he like paved the way through a Red Sea, or, well, the sea, the water, and all of a sudden here we have water that we can't drink. Do you think maybe it might have kind of cycled through their mind that he might be able to do something with water? But no, they're, they're grumbling and they're complaining, and so the Lord showed Moses back in, uh, uh, where am I at, 25, he showed him a log, actually a tree, and he throws it into the water, and the water became sweet, and there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. We don't have time to go through all the testing things, but God does test people. He tested Abram to see if he was worthy. We see this in Abram's call, and here he is testing the people to find out, are they really intent on following him? And now listen to this. I'm going I'm to read, I'm going to hold things up on my hands here, because this is significant. In verse 26, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, 
I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Four things. Is it these four things only? No, this is like the totality. This is like she, or, or pre-echoes of like the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Lord, love the Lord your God with everything, your heart, your soul, your mind, which Jesus uses to answer a conflict in his day. He reaches back to a childhood prayer. What's the greatest thing we could do? Love the Lord our God with everything and our neighbor as ourself. Goes on, verse 27. There they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and there they encamped by the water. This is like a, a reach back into an Eden type thing. The numerology with the 12 and the 70, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 70 people uh, that you could see in Genesis 46 that went down into Egypt. He's just reaching back into their past and showing and, and where they're going. He's like, I'm, I'm here for you, I'm your provider, you guys can trust in me. And so here it is, Sunday morning. We just sung about life-changing truths. Hopefully the Holy Spirit is working through the text and some of the words that I am saying to present to you some things that are life-giving, but yet what happens when Wednesday rolls around? Will these things continue to be at the forefront of our minds and, and, and working themselves up in our hearts so that we can continue to follow Jesus more closely on the path of life that he has for us? Or will we forget them and they'll just be things in the past? What I'm getting at is what we see here the people of Israel struggling with is they did not remember well. And by implications, we can say they were not thankful because if you're not remembering, you're not thankful in the present. And they bowed to the pressure and the fear of the moment. And so I say again, you don't have time to not be thankful. We're in the season of, of Lent right now, um, and I'm not talking the stuff in your jean pockets, and I'm not talking something that is only Catholic. There are people around the world who follow Jesus, and a growing number of people, even young people today, who are, who are tap, tapping into things that have history and have roots because, uh, as Garen showed us a while back, um, this, this rootedness, this anchor to the past, and we need also the hope of the future, and that's like cut off on the slide. Maybe that's because we don't think about the future enough <laughs> and the restorative ways of what it will be and, and what kind of like what I was saying, do we believe more in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit or of death? But yet we, we need both of these things to anchor us, things in the past and things in the future. And Lent is something that we can draw on. And the, the concept of Lent is really fairly simple. I uh, won't go into a lot of details, but it, it's a way for, and it's started with Ash Wednesday, but yet what we could do for the next, however many days it is till, till Resurrection Sunday, 40 uh, 42-ish, I guess, because it's, I'm sorry, I've got all these things in my mind. Um, don't count Sundays. Anyway, from here until Resurrection Sunday, uh, what would it be like if you made in thankfulness more of an intentional part of your everyday life? What would that be like to remember, to be thankful Part, part of Lent is you give something up and replace it with something good. You know, back, think back to the idolatry series that Garen did. It's not so much that we get something out of our life, but we need to be drawn to something that is better. So what if we give up grumbling or we give up complaining? Or when it starts to happen, because let's be honest, it does. What if we remember, oh no, just a trigger somehow, I need to be thankful. I, I need to be able to re reorient and reprogram and rewire myself to be Thankful. What if we could take intentionality from now till Resurrection Sunday and be able to experience Resurrection Sunday anew and afresh? 
I mean, it seems like a long way off, but to go back to that great theologian Darius Rucker, time, the past has come and gone, the future so far away, but now it lasts for one second, one second. The habits and the patterns that we put in place now or what we've put in the place in the past, we can be captive to them, so we need to form some new ones in the here and now to go forward. We need to remember what the God, Lord our God has done and be thankful and turn it back in praise. Psalm chapter 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I'm going to have to speed up, and for the sake of time, Exodus chapter 16. Ah, there's some good things. We'll come back to that in a minute. Exodus, there's 15. Did I not put 15 on the screen? This is the first time I've been in charge of my own PowerPoint. That's probably never going to happen again. <laughs> I'm just blowing through all sorts of things here. Um, Exodus chapter 16, there you see the things on the screen. Uh, for the sake of time, not going to go through a lot here. I do want to bring out the concept of uh, working at thankfulness at all times. After all, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. And see, here's where we have some tension because a lot of times, and maybe some of you are going through some things where it's like, this is pretty much impossible for me to give thanks. This situation is so horrible, I don't see any good in this. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that, but yet also sometimes it's like, my goodness, when we remember the words of Jesus, blessed are who? The poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep and mourn. And so it's like we need to remember what Jesus said and, and see how he's setting the world right again and see that uh, sometimes maybe we need to I think Ann Voskamp says something about this. Can we not thank God for the difficult things in life as well? Because if we're only thanking for the good things, then it's like we're just kind of ignoring who he really is. Can he not work in the difficult circumstances of our lives? Exodus chapter, yeah, there we go. Don't stretch an 11-day journey into 40 years. You don't have time to be not be thankful, and thankfulness is essential to following Jesus. Exodus 17, this is the last one. I'm not going to read the whole text. You could just note that, but I do want us to note, we looked at Exodus 14, Exodus 15, Exodus 16, and Exodus 17. How many numbers is that? Four. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we get to the base of Mount Sinai and there's something that happens in chapter 20 that I won't talk about, which is fascinating. But then when Moses is up on the mountain, he receives a, the, the tablets from the Lord, and the people are down below doing what with the golden calf? Worshiping it? That shouldn't shock us, because they've laid a foundation for unfaithfulness coming right out of Egypt. This didn't just happen out of the blue. This is something that they had been laying the foundation for the whole way through. So it's one thing for us to see it in them, but it's another thing for us to see it in ourselves. It's not just a them problem, it's an us problem. I started in the book of Deuteronomy, and I talked about the link between remembering and thankfulness. Fifteen times in the book of Deuteronomy, God tells us people that they need to remember. Paul's letters continuously touch us back to the significant capstone things, the return of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, those types of things. What I'm saying here this morning is that you don't have time to not be thankful. 
And I don't want to impose some sort of legalistic thing on you where you must do it. I want you to understand I am inviting you into something that is life-giving for you. Some of you are okay. You're just going to have to take that and apply it to your life however the Holy Spirit leads. I trust him to do that way better than what, uh, than what I could do here in a few moments. Use it as an experiment in this 40 days of Lent leading up to Resurrection Sunday as well. Let's believe a little bit more and lean more into the life-giving, transforming power of the Holy Spirit in the here and now and walk more and more in step with God instead of just uh, waiting for one day things to be all made new. I'm going to pray for us, and after that we will be, will be sent. Father, we thank you for your goodness. You've shown it in so many ways. Thank you for the truths that we sung earlier. All of your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We sung about how you are a good, good father. We looked in your word here and we saw the failure of your people to remember well. And they bowed to the pressure of the moment. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring whatever mixture of those things and more beyond this morning or the classes we'll go to or things that we're learning in life groups and you will bring us what we need in our time of help or or the helpful thing in our time of need. We can trust you to do that. May we have ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. May the Lord keep you and bless you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Go in peace and serve the Lord.